Welcome to Find Your Yellow Tux. I'm Jesse Cole, a baseball team owner turned showman, turning my back on the status quo. This is the show for people creating their own path. It's showtime. Yes, yes, yes. Episode one here of Find Your Yellow Tux. We're at beautiful Grayson Stadium, Savannah, Georgia, here inside our stadium club. And I am with my amazing wife, Emily Cole. Emily, how you doing? Doing great. Excited for number one today. Yes. Now, you know I've been talking about this for over a year. So you've heard it all, and now we are finally getting started. So where do you think we should start this first episode? I don't know of a better way to start than from the beginning. So why don't we give a little bit of context and background, I guess, on how Yellow Tux was even thought up of. All right, so I guess it all started back with our team, the Gastonia Grizzlies, yep. back in 2007, and we didn't know each other at this point. We did not. So sad. <laughs> but I think what, what started was I came to that ballpark that first day. Um, I got the job as general manager right out after, after college. Mm-hmm. I was an intern, and I remember showing up that first day, and I found out the real numbers of the team. I found out that there was only 200 people coming to the games. I found out that the team had lost over $100,000 a year, And then I found out there was only $268 in the bank account. And we had three full-time employees, and payroll was on Friday. So this was my first day. And I think at that point, I realized very quickly that um, I had a lot to learn. I I think I had to figure out what I needed to do with the business um, to make it successful. So it was that day that, without knowing it, I think Find Your Yellow Tux developed. Mm -hmm. And I started realizing that we had to be dramatically different than a baseball team to be successful. And I know you came part of the team a few years later, but you know I realized the team had been there for seven years, and no one was coming to the games. I remember making 10 phone calls that first day, and seven people that I called businesses never even heard of the team. I remember two people said they never work with us, and one person hung up on me. So it was very clear then that we weren't going to be that successful being a baseball team. So after that you know, tough first day, going home, realizing that I don't know if this is going to work, I had an epiphany that we had to be about entertainment. And this is where the process started. And I remember calling the owner of the team, and I said, Ken, we, we can no longer be a baseball team. He goes, well, what do you have in mind? I go, well, it needs to be a circus. He goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, our, our players could do choreographed dances. We could have grandma beauty pageants. Uh, we could bury diamond rings in the infield dirt, and I could get in the dunk tank every single game. And luckily, I guess he didn't fire me that day. He just looked and said, well, we got nothing to lose. And I think at that point, I realized that people would start talking about they would care if we were doing things differently. And players dancing, I've never seen that anywhere. But at college summer baseball, you have the opportunity to try new things. So we said, let's do it and and let's roll with it. And uh, what I started doing was I had to learn every single thing about marketing, sales, entertainment, promotions. So I started reading about Walt Disney and P.T. Barnum. And I started thinking, hey, whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And we started doing that. I remember we started serving food like donut dogs and donut burgers and garbage can nachos, which we're still doing to this day. And it's a garbage can full of three orders of nachos, two cheeseburgers, two hot dogs, nacho cheese, chili, jalapenos, and donuts. It's 3,200 calories. But people started talking about it. So I remember after that first year, um, it was all of a sudden we went from 200 fans a game to getting 1,000 fans a game. 
And it was based on this idea of just whatever's normal, do the exact opposite and be different. And a lot of things failed. I think you've heard the stories now, but I remember uh, when I decided that first year we were going to host Flatulence Fun Night. And we were actually going to give away uh, whoopee cushions at the gate. And we were going to have a bean burrito, eat, bean burrito eating contest on the field. And the day before the night, the whoopee cushions arrived. They had our logo on them, but they were about the size of a nickel. They weren't the big size that I wanted. So immediately it had to be kids' whoopee cushion giveaway night. <laughs> and no one showed up to the game. There was about 400 people there. Uh, we had a ton of fun, but it didn't really work. So then I said, let's get crazier. And we decided to have salute to underwear night, where we actually gave away Grizzlies tidy whities at the gate. We threw them in the crowd. And anyone that wore underwear on the outside over their pants got a free ticket. And I didn't realize it, but it was the most unfamily-friendly night we've ever done. People were wearing the grossest, nastiest, weirdest underwear I've ever seen into a ballpark. Again, that promotion didn't work, and especially the media showed up that night to cover it. And uh, I guess it was a very interesting news story they showed that night. But more than anything, they were talking. So as much as we failed with these promotions, we started creating excitement. And that's where we gained this mindset of just looking differently at everything. People weren't caring about the actual baseball game, but they were caring about the fun and the excitement and the craziness we were doing. And that's where it developed. So that's where we started back in Gastonia. So your whole background up until that point had been baseball, the actual sport itself. So how were you able to just come up with day one? Hey, the thing that I've known my whole life, baseball, it's just not going to work here. I remember playing baseball my whole life, and it was the summer before coming to Gastonia that I was coaching in the Cape Cod League, which is one of the best leagues in the country and some of the best players. I looked at our roster we had that year, and half the guys went to play Major League Baseball. And I realized that summer I was sitting in the dugout with arguably the best seat in the ballpark because I was an assistant coach, and I was bored. And I played baseball for you know 20 years of my life, and I was bored watching the game. And I looked at the crowd, and there was no promotions, no excitement. It was just baseball, which is a great game, but to many, it's long, slow, and boring. So I sat there, and I can't watch a baseball game. If I can't love being there, how are fans going to think about that? So that's how I developed looking differently at baseball. Um, but if you go back before that, I think it's I learned how to be different with my friends, and I think you need to surround yourself with interesting people, unique people, creative people, if you want to bring out the best. And I have a few friends that in high school that I still talk to all the time. Um, one has become an unbelievable uh, film producer and videographer uh, doing films on HBO. Uh, the other one is one of the top uh, directors and producers at an ad agency. And I, we were talking the other day about some of the things we used to do. And you know, our last day of school, my senior year, I never forget, we actually found this old wooden school bus prop that was used for a play. And we decided instead of actually taking the school bus to school or going, we would walk this giant school bus to school. And we were walking it playing the magic bus and uh, the wheels on the bus go round and round. And people were just beeping and laughing. When we showed up later, we kept the, the circus going. We did a marching band around all the halls in the middle of the game, I mean, in the middle of the school day. And then I remember at lunch, we actually all of us decided that we were going to pick out a random freshman girl and just 30 of us sing happy birthday to her, and it wasn't even her birthday. So we got this whole philosophy of just doing really ridiculous things. Um, I remember on Thanksgiving, we actually did Thanksgiving caroling because the normal thing to do would be do Christmas caroling. But we got 26 of us, and we went to different houses in the neighborhood singing uh, Thanksgiving songs. 
that we found on the internet. Like one was uh, turkey dinner, turkey dinner, gather around, gather around. It was the most ridiculous song ever, but people were coming outside and just laughing. And so we developed all these crazy ideas and we just said, hey, that would be fun. And I think that's what we developed in looking at Gastonia. Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't call my friends from high school and said, hey, what would be ridiculous if we did? And that's how Flatulence Fun Night and some of these other ideas came about. So I've heard, I've heard some of these stories before, of course, but some of these are still new to me. So I guess it makes sense now that you've always been a little bit different or have thought outside of the box. Um, but you said earlier that you started studying and reading marketing and all that. So I'm assuming, and our readers are probably assuming that you don't have a background in that. So you're this crazy guy in high school and, and then where do you go? Yeah, so I, I went to college. I uh, went to Wofford College to play baseball, and then um, I realized that there were no majors that I was actually interested in. So I developed my own major, and I created this whole uh, study of leadership, basically, where I would be doing videos, I would be doing speeches, and I'd be reading about unique things. So instead of taking the typical approach, like a marketing or a business background, a major, I went the opposite way. So that's how I, I started to develop that in school. But you know, it's one of those things that was just my, my friends and I. I always said, let's look at what's different, unique, and just have fun. I mean, most kids in high school, when I was in school, they'd go to Gap or Old Navy, and uh, we did all of our uh, shopping at Goodwill. We tried to find what the most ridiculous shirts were. I remember literally wearing uh, Kmart vests and finding uh, Cracker Barrel uh, aprons with the name Hezekiah and Lion King shirts, and this is the stuff that I actually wore out, and my friends did the same, so I think uh, the standing out and being different happened uh, much younger before even college. So you were an athlete, obviously. We all picture the athlete as the cool jock. But I have to imagine that you guys were picked on or looked at differently. I mean, nobody does that in high school when we're all so worried about being judged. I mean, was there a line that you guys were worried about crossing? Or how did the other kids view you? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, I, I was picked on a lot. I think a lot of people, when you go out there and you put yourself out there, you're going to get criticism. And uh, I remember, I mean, I was tripped in the hall. You know, I was pushed around. Uh, even though I was a baseball player, I was more kind of the unique, creative person. Um, but most of the teachers actually started respecting it. We did well in school enough, and they thought it was creative, and they had fun with it. Um, you know, it, it was just, I, I think we had to think differently and deal with the criticism. I mean, I, I could go on stories and stories of things that we did, and a lot of times people would be like, you guys are losers. But it was like, we were just having fun. And I think most people in business, they try to think about what other people think instead of what they enjoy and what they're having fun, and that's what we did. Okay, so you leave high school and you want to continue baseball. That's the path that you choose and you go into college. And then what? Again, how do you bridge that gap from you're in school studying to now you're running the Grizzlies? Yep, uh, quickly, I uh, tore every single, uh, tore every ligament, tore every muscle, tore everything I had in my shoulder, um, rotator cuff, the labrum. And when I tore all that, basically my baseball career was over. So I thought I wanted to go into coaching, but I realized that coaching – you know, it was the same as everyone else. It'd take many years to really be able to make a difference, and still you were competing in that same type of game. So when I got an email about an internship with the team in Spartanburg, South Carolina, I took it. And I remember that internship, uh, you know, I thought Gastonia was the most troubled team in the country. I think Spartanburg actually was. Uh, they were having about 100 people come into the games, but I learned how to get in the community and, and try to sell uh, excitement of something different. And that's how I got into Gastonia and then started making it, uh, you know, what it is today. 
Okay, so now you've you're in year one in Gastonia. You've told Ken that you're going to become an entertainment company. He comes around to the idea, the the current owner, and it sounds like you had success in the first year. But walk us through what happens after that initial success. Mm-hmm. I, I remember the first day, the first uh, practice when the guys showed up back in 2008, and we're getting ready to practice. The coach is ready. They're getting they're putting their gloves on, ready to go on the field. And I walk over with a dance instructor, a choreographer. And they look at me like, what is this? I go, guys, before we practice, we're going to learn how to dance. And they all thought I was kidding. But then I turned and I started playing music. And for 20 minutes, the guys learned how to dance. And I remember one pitcher, he said, I'm never going to do this. And he literally walked off and said, you know, this is it. And he went to the bullpen. And, you know, that first day, it was kind of a shock system to everybody, what we're doing. It's like, no, you guys are going to learn how to dance because the fans are going to love this. And after a few games, the players got so much into it, doing the jump on it dance, doing the wobble and the Cupid shuffle, that the fans were just laughing hysterically that that one pitcher who hated it so much, he actually came in the sixth game. He said, I'm doing this. And he ripped off his belt, started doing the dance over his shoulders, and he got into it. And all of a sudden, he became the most popular player on our team. And I just found out recently, a few years ago, he's now a male model. So I think he just had to connect with himself later. So, you know, to answer your question, at first it was shock. And then all of a sudden, we started taking it to another level. And like I said, the attendance rose. And we just kept looking at what can we do next year to second up that, to do a little bit more, a little bit more different. And, you know, from the world's largest pillow fight to, I remember, never forget the uh, Dig to China night that we did, where we actually uh, had fans, we buried a trip to China inside the infield dirt, and we had fans dig to China. Now, the idea was that they would win this trip to China. However, we didn't tell them it was just a one-way flight to China. So they actually could go to China, but there'd be no hotels and no way back. So this woman, one, it took about 30 minutes. She's digging. She pulls out, and it sees, and it sees that it's one-way flight to China. And she's like, I'm not coming back. I go, you, you dug to China. And after a little bit, we gave her opportunity to go on a cruise instead. She didn't take that trip to China. Um, but again, people started talking about that. And the news was like, you guys are ridiculous. And we started having grandma, like the grandma beauty pageants. And it was just women strutting their stuff in their 80s. And, you know, there's crazy stories with that. But everyone started talking. And that was, the, that was the key. I believe attention is so key. And if you can create attention, you can do anything. I know that you are one of the most creative people that I've ever met. But how did this stuff just keep coming to you? I mean, it sounds like everything you turn, everything you touch just turned to an amazing promotion. I mean, where was this coming from? <laughs> I mean, we failed with a lot of promotions. Anyone who's seen what we've done in the last 10 years, they failed. But uh, again, the idea that I think is whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And I'll give a great example of one game that we did that actually proves this more than anything. Uh, we called it Backwards Night. And literally what we did, when people walked into the stadium, um, we thanked them for coming. We asked them to walk in backwards. And then all of a sudden, as they walked in backwards, they sat down, and we started the game from the ninth inning. And we did every promotion backwards. So in the third inning, we called it the seventh inning and had the seventh inning stretch. Every promotion was backwards. At the end of the game, we had the national anthem. We had the first pitch. And I'll never forget my announcer reading the pregame announcements till 1030 at night as people left the stadium. And... That's the idea of how we think about everything. It's again, people were talking about that because it was so bizarre and so different. I think most people try to follow what everyone else is doing and do it a little bit better or incrementally better. When you look at it at a completely different lens, that's how you really can start to innovate. And that's how we look at everything. And you know, while we will take some ideas from other groups and we try to really spin it on our own. So that's how we started creating it. And, you know, we had the biggest example as we moved forward a few years later. And uh, this is when we started, we met and we got married and then went into our newest team in Savannah. 
I know that you mentioned coming up with a lot of your own ideas and obviously with sports teams, often they'll go to conferences and learn from each other. But one thing that I've learned from you is to look outside of your industry. You want to touch a little bit on how you've expanded into other industries to get inspiration? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Everyone goes to all these conferences, like you said, about, you know, this is the sports conference, or this is the accounting conference, or the law conference, whatever it is. But then you're just following what everyone else is doing. You know, you and me, we've learned our most going to uh, resorts or going on cruises. You know, I, I'll never forget we were at a, a resort in Puerto Vallarta, and we're sitting down, and all of a sudden this, this woman walks over, and she just starts handing us cooling towels. And it was hot outside, and these nice cooling towels to go on our neck, and hands us some sunglasses and, like, a, a freezy pop. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Amazing. And so what do we do the next year? We brought in cooling towels. And mm -hmm. so our, our staff walks around and gives cooling towels to our fans. And, you know, you try to think about what other people are doing and how do you put that into your own business. So that's what we started doing then. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Should, should we share our story a little bit? Yeah, I think I think that's a fun one, too. It's a little bit different, I guess, <laughs> probably than most people. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think many people, how do they meet? We get the question always, how do you guys meet? How do you mm -hmm. guys work in the industry together? together. <laughs> Which is, uh, everyone says it's such a challenge. We work together 24 hours a day and we do you know right after that first season and we started to get known for the crazy things we were doing we hosted a conference at our stadium and I'll tell it from my perspective I was speaking in front of different minor league teams and other college summer teams and I was talking about the grandma beauty pageants and the flatulence fun nights and all the crazy promotions we were doing and you know I, I connected with a lot of the different uh, staff members and people from the other teams and for that that was it it was a great conference and I really was able to learn a lot while I was sharing from your perspective, it went a different way. For me, it was life-changing. <laughs> um, my current boss at the time, I was with a company called Ripken Baseball, and my current boss was listening to you at the conference. And actually, I, I heard later, she got up and walked out of your speech. Sorry. Um, but she was just Ouch. so enamored with what you were saying, and she ran outside and she had to call me. And literally, the first words out of her mouth were... Emily, I met the guy that you're going to marry. And she went on to say how inspirational you were, how crazy you were, how she could see the similarities between us. We both cared so much about our teams and our communities and the passion that we had for this industry and doing it differently than what we had seen in the past. And she was just sure of it. She's like, I know you guys have never met. You don't know each other's names, but it's crazy, the similarities. But at this point, I had no clue about right. that. You all, didn't even know that phone call was made. No, not at all until like, like a couple days later, which I still didn't know, but I get an email yep. from, from Emily McDonald. So I, of course, made the first move. <laughs> so she takes the initiative. I take the credit. And what did you, you send in that email? So I just reached out. Honestly, it was professional at that point because I did hear that you were a genius and wow. obviously wanted to elevate my career. So wanted to just brainstorm at that point and talk about the things you were doing. At that time, I was in Augusta, Georgia, so we weren't too far away. Mm -hmm. And probably a few months later, I guess I drove up to see one of your games, see it firsthand. No, 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 no. You showed up to our stadium, but yes. instead you decided to go to another team's game in I Charlotte. I did. I went to the Charlotte game yes. that night. But I did stop at your stadium to see you. And what did I see walking in was Jesse. Uh, no lie. Jesse is on the field 
with a bunch of baseball players, and he is teaching them the thriller dance. Which, by the way, we nailed it that night. So yeah, the, I'm it, sure. But literally the first time I saw him. First time we met. First time we'd met in person. Um, he didn't even know that I was there yet, but I'm watching him on the field dripping sweat with like five or six baseball players with thriller on repeat from the PA system, and he's teaching them. It's a couple hours before their game that evening. And that was it was my tribute to Michael Jackson night, yeah. and we wanted to put a good tribute on. So of the, course. the players learned it, and so we met then. And then it wasn't until, I guess, the following year that yeah. we met, uh, that we re- re-met Reconnected. at the minor league promo Yeah, we, I guess we emailed a few times, probably just about ideas. Ideas, yeah. Um, but when I first met you, I was like, this guy's seriously <laughs> loco. So <laughs> so we just emailed. Thought I was absolutely crazy. was dating someone else. And then yep. we spent the whole weekend at the minor we league met, promo seminar. Yep, in and, Myrtle Beach. And it's amazing. I think this is a lesson for everyone. It's when you can connect with someone, whether it's personally, professionally. We spent that whole weekend, and we didn't stop talking, not about us, but about the different ideas ideas in the industry. And we shared so much passion. I think I had more ideas from you that weekend than I've ever had. And we left. It was like, wow. And it was tough when we left that weekend. It was like, we're not going to be together anymore. But wow, we just shared so much passion and ideas Mm -hmm. that then you made a decision. Yeah, I was at a point where I was ready to leave the team that I was with currently anyways. And I was just so inspired with you, again, from a professional level, that I wasn't getting that creatively where I was. And so decided to make a big leap kind of out of nowhere and moved to Gastonia, North Carolina. But at that point, you, you weren't, we weren't going to work together. Yeah, it was kind of up in the air on if I was definitely going to join the team or not. But we knew we wanted to at least talk about things and I wanted to help the team grow and get bigger because I I watched your videos and saw what you guys were doing and it was definitely different from what I'd seen any other And that was strategic. I kept sending you videos of all the highlights and the shenanigans we were doing at the ballpark to show you that it was different than most minor league teams. Yeah, subliminally, you know, dragging me in. (laughs) And I think finally you said, you said, all right, let's talk. And then so we, we talked that night and we said, all right, you know, let's do this. Let's, let's work together. But you know, we, we want to keep it, you know, just between, professional. professional between yeah. us and then you know you do your thing public. and I remember it was that night you came up with your title mm-hmm. and uh how'd you come up with your title and let's I mean you straight up said what what would you want it to be what would you want to do at the ballpark if you could have any job and I said I just want to have fun there and I want to help other people have fun and then and you probably said no I think it was you one of us said no, I'm on the director of fun and for the next five years, I think that was my title. Until you became an owner, you yeah, were the director. Totally the team. You were the director of fun, and I think when people remember you, they still talk about that yeah. whole first year. What costume did you wear almost every I game? It was a hot dog every game. A hot dog. She actually dressed up as a hot dog, and I was yet. Or this is how we got into the yellow tux. Mm-hmm. But um, so these were our two crazy people. We decided to work together, and this is where the yellow tux started. Yep. So uh, I guess. So you- the yellow tux really stemmed off of a black tux. Really? Yeah. I mean, let's go down that, that conversation. <laughs> so it was uh, now 2012, yeah. and we decided, hey, this is about a show. We don't even call our games games anymore. We say, welcome to the show. Enjoy the show. It's yeah, about the it, show. Yeah, it became more and more elevated. It was yep. the circus more and more every day. Yes, and so all about the show, I was reading everything about P.T. Barnum, and I said, i got to dress a little bit P.T. Barnum-esque. And so one of, my, one of my friends works at a bridal and formal shop, and I said, I said, Raj, I need some help. And he goes, what do you need? I go, opening night, I need your best tux. And he's like, how crazy you want. I go, I, I need big tails. I want it to be awesome. So he got me this tux, you know, the full, all the different layers, the vest, everything. And I'm wearing this an opening night and it's hundred degrees. And it was the most brutal night ever in the sun wearing that tux. And so I said, I love the idea of show people liked it, but I go, I need something lighter. I need something easier. Uh, I still didn't realize that wearing a tux in the summer is always going to be, always going to be hot. But what I decided was, uh, 
let's look for a tux that maybe has the colors of the team, not just black. And I went on, I searched yellow tuxedos out of nowhere, and I found a website called brightcolortuxedos.com, and uh, it actually exists. And I found it, and I overnighted a yellow tuxedo. It showed up before the next game. And that night, I wore it at the ballpark, and to say it stuck would be an understatement. Um, as soon as I was wearing it, everyone said, like, Jesse, and he started taking pictures, and I, I couldn't dodge it at that point. At that night, I was the yellow tux guy. The staff loved it, too, because we could always find you. Yeah, they always found me. So it was really, it was tough in that sense that I couldn't get away even for a second as the yellow tux guy. So started wearing the all tux. You were in your hot dog costume. Yeah, what a dream team we yes. were. Yeah, we really <laughs> looked like, goofballs. what a staff, yellow tux guy and a hot dog <laughs> walking around the ballpark. And uh, it was a couple of years. So we started dating. We let everyone know. And people really saw us like, wow, these groups, you know, having fun. We're doing mm-hmm. things crazy. And, you know, I knew at a point there was no one else I could spend my life with. And so, of course, if I was going to propose, we had to make it different. And I'll never forget the, the game. It was August 4th, and it was 2014. And it was the final game of the year and sold-out crowd. And I was like, we met at this field, even though you left and we'll go to, went to another game. But you saw me dance, and we've spent this whole, whole time at our field in Gastonia. So I said, let's, let's, let's do it. And somehow the staff found out. I don't know how they found out, but they knew. And everyone except for you found out about it. And it was the sixth inning, and you, where were you? I was popping popcorn in our side concession stand. Yep, because we had 4,000 people, and they needed their popcorn. Yeah, obviously. And I I don't think you were in the hot dog costume at this point, which was good. Probably not if I was in the concession stand. Yes, so that was good. So uh, then all of a sudden, I I grabbed you. I said, Emily, we got to go on the field. And she's like, no, I'm popping popcorn. I'm like, Emily, I'm going to thank the whole team, the staff. Please come out. And you almost didn't come, which would have changed everything. Yeah, well, we were a little behind in concessions, yes. and that's, that's <laughs> my baby is the concessions, the operations. So, so I was like, what does he want me for? He can just thank the crowd himself. But I finally was able to get you on the field. And I remember before, everyone's looking at Jesse like, what's wrong with him? He's pacing back and forth. I've never seen him like this. And I was like, oh, just a lot of people to thank. i got to remember it. So we had the staff on the field, about 30, 40 people going through, thanking everyone. And finally, I come to you, and I said, uh, finally, uh, last but not least, our director of fun, Emily McDonald, and I went in front, and, and you're at this point, I went in front of the whole crowd, and I said, not many people know this, but for the first time, we met right here on this field. And what, what's in your thought process right now? I'm like, now? why is he sharing this with <laughs> the public? They don't need to know our love story, because so much of, of our work you know, environment was professional, and we didn't want people to know that we were dating. So that whole first year, we kept it a secret, because yep. I wanted people to take me seriously as a professional in my new community. So nobody really even knew about us for like the first year and a half. And now he's spilling Telling our love everybody. story <laughs> to 4,000 people and I'm getting embarrassed. So you're, yeah, you are, you are getting embarrassed. There's pictures you turn to red. And I think as I walked in front and I started sharing that, I, you know, we had your whole family was here. My family had flown down and all of our friends were there. And even our friends didn't even know. I said, you have to be at this game. They're like, why are we here? Are they winning an award? Why are we here? None of them knew. And then as I started getting into that, I think everyone started to know. And I went down to a knee and I, I think I said in front of our baseball family, your family and my family, will you make me the luckiest guy in the world? And as I, I'm wearing the yellow tuxedo. I dropped down to a knee. And I, I remember still to this day, you have yet to say yes. Sorry. <laughs> you literally just got excited. It's overwhelming. I, I had the, the ring and a baseball, and which I, op- I cut open a baseball, opened up the baseball, and the ring was there. And thank goodness you didn't say yes, but you ran over to hug me, which I, I took as a yes. Yeah. Everyone was screaming. <laughs> they were all screaming at that point. And uh, we just, this was in the middle of the game too. So oh, I just yeah. stopped the game. Yeah. And uh, I remember then at that point, fireworks started going off again. Yep. And this is the sixth inning. Sixth so inning it's fireworks. not after a game. So the fireworks are going off for about 10 minutes. And, uh, Got some epic pictures. Yeah, great pictures. And the umpires are standing there, and the teams are like, are we ever going to play again? No, everyone <laughs> was happy for us. They 
were happy for us, but yeah. I was like, we're going to take this moment and take yeah, this time. So the longest delay ever in the history yeah. of baseball in the sixth inning oh, happened yeah, then. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but you said yes. and you, I nodded, guy, I think. Nodded. I don't think I yeah. said yes. You didn't say yes, but to a guy in a yellow tuxedo. And fast forward a year later, and we got married right on that same field. Same field. field. Just a little different weather issues. I think we had 100% rain all day, literally sideways. Yeah. We were standing in water. We got married at home plate, but but we knew how we to handle had, rain on the field. I think we yeah, were. Yeah, we, we wouldn't have done any other way. Yeah, we we're using the squeegees and everything. So, anyways, <laughs> that's our personal story to know. But again, you know, with anything, I think I still thought, you know, if we're gonna propose, make it different. You know, our wedding, we tried to make different, and I think that goes more into the find your yellow tux theme. But you know, it sounds all you know peachy and everything's gone well. But you know, we had our biggest challenge, you know, just about two years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very important story for everyone to know. You know, there's challenges, there's adversity, and it's how you make it through those is how you really are able to, what I call, find your yellow tux, and that's what makes you different and stand yeah. out. So um, I guess we should tell the Savannah story. Well, yeah, I mean, we so we got engaged in 2014 and bought the Grizzlies that same year mm-hmm. from Ken. Crazy um, year. The guy that Jen, or that Jesse, you know, previously mentioned. Mm-hmm. So we bought from Ken in 2014. and. Yep. You know, things were good. We could have had yep. a great life there and just, you know, stopped there. But we also see opportunity and other possibilities. So well, it was right after the engagement that right. you surprised us with a trip to Savannah. So we showed up here in Savannah, Georgia. I'd never been there before. And we fell in love with the city. And mm-hmm. I remember going to a game. The minor league team was here. And it was a Saturday night. And there was only 500 people yeah, in the crowd. Yeah, it was really quiet. It was quiet. And it was empty. We and loved the stadium. We yeah. were like, what is going on in this place? And I'd been here earlier, you know, years earlier, and, you know, it was quiet then, too. So yeah. it was weird. And so we were just sitting there, and I remember that night I texted the commissioner of the league of our coastal plane. I said, if this team ever leaves, we're going to try to find a way to be here in Savannah. We, we fell in love with the stadium and the community, and ironically, within about six months, the team announced – uh, they couldn't get the new stadium that they wanted, and they were leaving for a brand new stadium in Columbia, South Carolina. And at that point, it was like, wow, this could possibly happen. So immediately, we reached out to the city of Savannah and and met with them and said, hey, we'd love to come. And immediately, there was some skepticism, you know, minor league baseball for 90 years. And they're like, who are these guys, college summer baseball? Mm-hmm. And fortunately, uh, Joe Searhouse with the city, we invited him to a Gastonia game, and he showed up there, and all of a sudden he hears this live band playing out and people in costume and the players at the gate greeting fans. And he walked in and said, he goes, what is this? I go, it's our circus. And he goes, this is crazy. And I go, he goes, I've never seen as many people at a ballpark. And I said, well, this is what we hope to do in Savannah. And fortunately, Joe, you know, believed in us and gave us that opportunity to help us reach an agreement with the city. And uh, we thought, hey, here we go. We've got a five-year lease here at the stadium in Savannah. We're ready to go. But then that's when the challenges really started happening. Yeah. So we officially moved in here October of 2015. October 5th. Yeah, ironically, five days before our wedding. So it was a pretty, pretty, pretty eventful week for us. Um, but yeah, when we moved in, everything had been removed from the stadium. Do you remember? I what, mean, the phone lines were cut. Day? The phone yeah. lines were cut. The internet lines were cut. There was and, nothing. And yeah. we showed up in that office, and we have pictures, and it's literally just a picnic table that we worked on. Uh, you know, everything was gone. And it was you, me, and we just had a few staff members there mm-hmm. sitting there and saying, what are we going to do? And we started making calls on our cell phones, trying to reach out to the community. And... Again, when we came into Savannah, I think we had a really different idea. It said, we're going to be about the entertainment, but we're going to think about what are other things that people don't like about the sport of baseball and how do we make it better? And I think that's a great lens when you're looking at how to yellow tux your business or look at your life. It's what are things that frustrate you about a business and 
change it and go the exact opposite. So what was that main theme <laughs> of things that we wanted to change? Well, this was crazy. We decided to make every ticket all you can eat. And we thought, hey, at ballparks today, arenas today, concerts, wherever they go, you get nickel and dimed. Hot dogs, soda, water, popcorn, Parking. everything. Parking. Yeah. And all spend the, so much. And you all don't even sudden, realize yeah, it. Yeah. An affordable outing becomes very expensive. So we said, we don't think anyone's doing this. We're going to make every season ticket, every mini plan, every group ticket, Every ticket that's bought in advance is an all-you-can-eat ticket with burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, and bird's cookies. And it was crazy. And we said, let's try it. So we came out. We announced it to all of Savannah. And what happened? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, literally crickets. We couldn't sell a ticket if we wanted to. And it was a really crazy moment for us. We're out there telling everyone this unbelievable deal, $15, and you get all the, all the food, and you get a ticket to a game. And no one cared. And we realized, wow, you know, we don't have no attention from any of the community. No one's really paying attention. And we were worried. And it got to December, and we were struggling. No one was buying tickets. And then I'll never forget that day in January. Yeah, but I guess that turning point or that, that mirror moment that everybody talks about, how let's, let's go through that rough stage. Yeah, and it was uh, we, we were going to my college roommate's wedding, and... We got a call that evening right before the wedding was to start. It was 4, 4.45, and it was from our COO of both teams. And he said, you know, we just withdrew our account. We're, we're completely out of money. We have, we're out of money. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, we just overdrafted our account. And so you and me are on the way to our college roommate's wedding, and we're like, what do we do? And this is five months into having the team. And I remember that drive back with you. And five months into our marriage. And into our marriage, too. Good point. <laughs> yeah, great, great start for the marriage and for our business. And we drove home. And, you know, this just shows you the kind of selfless person you are. You had the idea and you said, we have no other options. And you, you, what'd you say? I don't know if it means if I'm selfless, but I guess just realistic. <laughs> yeah, um, I just said, we have to sell our house. We have to go all in. Mm -hmm. It's our only option. And that long 10-hour drive uh, in the rain, we decided we had to put our house in the market and we had to empty out our savings account and go all in on Savannah. And it's weird, you know, people ask you, how do you go into these all-in moments? And, you know, we believed, you know, we saw this ballpark, what it could be. We believed in the entertainment. We just realized we got to create some attention and get them excited. So we came back, we put our house in the market. Fortunately, it sold. We emptied out our savings account. And uh, let's tell the story about the, uh, the house that we actually had to find in Savannah because I'll never forget this. So we, yeah, we sold the house in North Carolina and we're looking to stay down here in Savannah more permanently just to help this team, you know, to be here and be more hands-on because originally we were going to split our time back and forth. Uh, and we've just been staying in hotels a little bit. So, you know, hotels in Savannah, it's a tourist area. They, they were starting to add up. So it yeah. made sense for us to buy someplace. Well, unfortunately, the only thing we could afford at this time was literally a disgusting shack. Uh, I, I found it and took Jesse to see it with our real estate agent. And Jesse literally walked in the door and turned around and walked out and said, nope. The smell that was coming out of that house was so disgusting that I vividly remember walking in there. It was about 700 square feet and there were just cats and just old food. I was, and it was just tiny. You know, remember it, 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 a duplex and the, the two bedroom side we couldn't even get because there was a tenant in there for the next nine months. Mm -hmm. So we were going to live in this one bedroom, which was like an old garage. And, uh, about the size of a big closet. Yeah, and, that's and generous. Literally, you could get out of bed and almost be touching the bathroom and kitchen. All yep. You could touch a toilet. and, and Yeah, you it, could basically it, touch all the walls. <laughs> yeah, and Jesse's sometimes dramatic. You know, he's a showman, <laughs> and he's in front of, he's on stage a lot, but he's not being dramatic here. It was, it was rough, but I knew it was 
our only chance. I knew all we needed was a roof. It was um, on the market for two years, yeah, so it was on our the market chance forever, to... <laughs> and nobody wanted it. Yeah. But we did. (laughs) So we got it. And, you know, we didn't have time to, you know, do any renovations at this point. We didn't have any money or, or, you know, the team needed success. So we got an airbed and we put that airbed down. And uh, what do you remember those that beginning there with the airbed? Yeah, a lot of people don't know this story about us, but we literally lived on an airbed with packaged meals and honestly, ramen noodles. I mean, that's we hot pockets. I mean, it was every night. I mean, we were doing everything we could every extra dime. Again, first year marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Month six now of marriage, so it's going great. But I, I think my worst memory in that place was waking up to uh, a cockroach on Jesse's face. He he like moved or I don't know. It maybe. just dropped. I think dropped from something or yeah. Or yeah, out, and yeah. you moved probably because you felt something on your face, and I woke up and there was a cockroach, and I was like, we we've hit the bottom. Like right. it can't get worse. So it was a challenge to say the least. But I, I think what happened was going through that again brought us more conviction in what we were doing. Because if we're going to do this, uh, we got to go all in. So I think that's when we realized that we had to really do something dramatic and different to try to create even more excitement because no one was paying attention to us. And we had to help us name the team contest. And we got over a thousand suggestions, but we only got one very interesting suggestion. And that was the first night, uh, the bananas. And I think the big thing is we had all these, like you could be the seagulls or the ports or the anchors, and everyone took the generic names. But we saw bananas, and we immediately started just thinking of every possible crazy marketing opportunity. And what do you remember when that day when we saw that name, and all of a sudden we just couldn't stop thinking about the ideas? I mean, it was a no-brainer for us. We knew that we had to do something different to grab that attention like you were talking about earlier. We needed to think outside of the box if we had any chance of surviving. So many people were suggesting team names that already were existed. I mean, people were telling the us Cardinals. To, they were telling us yeah. to be the Braves. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, nobody is going to know who we are if we're the Savannah Braves. Yeah. You know, we can't do that. So, I mean, I your eyes just lit up when we started talking about that option. And well, we started I, thinking about go bananas and naming our mascot Split and developing a senior you citizen, to have, yeah, a, a senior citizen dance team called the banana nanas and it was like wow and then we could throw bananas from the top deck and, and people can catch in their pants and be banana in the pants and we we thought about all these crazy ideas it was like bananas is it but i think we had to train our staff and talk to our staff about this isn't going to go over well this is people are going to criticize it we had a you know a come to jesus moment with our staff and said guys are you sure we want to do this and i go everyone is going to be all over us we're going to get more criticism I mean, we might get thrown out of this town. Why do you think we were going to get criticism? Because it was so crazy. It was so outrageous. It was so different that that scares people. And I think one of the biggest fears people have is change. And it's very easy to be a generic team. And if you look at most teams, they choose that option. Mm-hmm. But we were know we were going to get criticized. So I think, what is it, we spent two days training? Yeah, we have our young staff, 22-year-olds. <laughs> Not that we were much older. We're in our late 20s at this point. You know. 30s. I was okay, in my 30s. You'd been right. in your 30s. <laughs> Sorry, you seniority here. Um, and yeah, we spent days going over you know, the media, the cameras in your face. They're asking you why you picked a stupid name. I yeah. mean, we were so convinced that we were going to get crucified for this. Yep. And, and, but they said, they said, let's do it. So I'll never forget the day, February 25th. And, you know, if you go back just a few days, we got our first shipment of shirts in. Yeah. And I'll never forget the first shipment of shirts that came in. We got a thousand shirts and bananas was spelled wrong. It had too many N's. 
So literally, we're, 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 yeah, all right, merchandise director there helping us out. <laughs> so we're sitting with these 1,000 shirts. We can't even use them. We're like, is this a bad omen for what's going to happen? Thank goodness it wasn't. Um, so we get to that night, and over 500 people showed up. All the news was yeah, there. Yeah, you had planned a big press conference, yep. really. Yeah, a big launch, an unveiling of it. And we did a video, which we were going to show all the fun, the excitement, and then finish with the logo. And I didn't sleep at all that night. Nope. I didn't sleep for the nights after that either. But I was sat there a night, like, how is this going to go? and the excitement and the energy. And I even have a video where I'm just scrolling across on the podium of all the people watching this video. And I said, there's three ways it could go. I go, they're either going to cheer and go crazy. They're either going to boo or it's going to be dead silence. And to me, dead silence was the worst. And they're just so shocked that they don't even, can't even say anything. I was like... Shocked with disgust. Shocked with disgust. Assuming. Yeah, I was like, we're in trouble. And so as soon as the name came out in the logo, everyone cheered. And they ran over to the banana stand. And you and me had the biggest sigh of relief. We were shocked. Yes, we had the sigh of relief. So we were like, we're in the clear. Everyone loves us. And it got crazier. Like all of a sudden, you know, ESPN reaches out. And they're like, hey, we're going to have you on for five minutes next morning. And Good Morning America and BuzzFeed. And everyone's covering. Well, do you remember Twitter? Yeah, Twitter was going crazy. We were trending on yeah, Twitter we, over. We were number one trending on Twitter yeah. over Donald Trump. And Trump actually had a debate that yeah. night, a Republican debate. And we were number one trending on Twitter. It was nuts. And we're like, wow, this is great. This is great. And then all of a sudden, it changed a little bit. Yep, I came to you with a problem. Yes, and then some more, and then some more. So the first problem we had was um, we were all out of shirts. <laughs> Literally, we sold merchandise to 44 states in the first two hours and six countries, which I don't realize that shipping to other countries is like $100. So we yeah. were losing huge on we the lost. $6 shipping. Yeah. But the problem was we didn't realize all of a sudden the news outlets locally started posting the team was the Savannah Bananas. And I'm so glad that we were able to save what people said because they said some of the most hurtful, negative things I've ever seen. Like, Yeah, I think the only 500, the 500 people who were here were probably the only 500 in Savannah at that time who liked it. Who actually liked well, it. Well, and some walked out, but most of those people were cheering. Yes. And everyone who else who was at home in Savannah Just ripped us apart over happy. the internet. Facebook, tw- I mean, it was, it was crazy. And they were saying things, you guys are an embarrassment to the city. The owners need to be thrown out of this town. You'll never last a year. You won't sell any tickets. And I told the staff this was going to happen, but I'll tell you, it's easier to say it's going to happen and then actually handle it. And it's, yeah. as you know, on that airbed that night, I couldn't sleep. And you kept saying, we're going to be okay. We believe in it. We believe it. I'm like, this is tough. Well, nationally and even internationally, we had gotten, you know, great feedback yeah. and we had gotten support. Yeah. And locally, people were super upset. Yeah. So I don't know what went through your mind when saying people elsewhere like us, but this community that we just moved to, moved to. hates us. <laughs> well, I think we sat there. We said, we got to get through this. We just got to get through this moment. And they're going to believe if we keep talking about what we're doing. The thing about a banana is different than like a any type of other animal. or The bananas is just, the idea is fun. You know, it's just fun. And I think people understood that's our whole theme is to make baseball fun. And so once people started seeing it and we started creating videos and showing what we're trying to do, it just took time. And I think a lot of people don't realize that sometimes it just takes time. And after a couple of months, everyone started noticing. The tickets, the phones started ringing off the hook. Our people that were going for meetings, now people were actually taking the meeting. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it was amazing what happened. The first eight games sold out, and we ended up selling out 75% of our games this first year in a stadium that never had sellouts. And, and it was not just because of the name Bananas. It was because we embraced it and started thinking about every single thing that we can do that's different and fun and go all in on it. And people came to the ballpark, and they're like, this isn't just a baseball game. This is a circus, and we're just having fun with the bananas going all in on it. So after that first season, it was just amazing. 
And I think we had a big responsibility after that year going into our next season. What are we going to do even more different? How are we going to get crazier and have more fun? And that's a challenge. I think a lot of teams come hard, you know, come up strong out of the gate, and then they just start struggling. And, you know, for us, we sat down and said, guys, we have one of the most amazing single seasons ever. I go, we're just getting started. And that was the key. And we said, what are we going to do differently? And, you know, I think we did some things this past season that people have never seen at a ballpark or never will. And Like what? <laughs> well, I think the, 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 the biggest thing is, you know, during baseball, what we use is we have a director of entertainment, and we have about 50 to 100 different skits, promotion, different things that we do in between innings to create fun, from people dancing in the dark to the toddler versus turtle race, the world's slowest race, to people getting pied. I mean, it's, it's really like a show. But I said, we can't, we're not doing anything that's actually happening during the game. We're hitting all these people in between innings, but not during the game. So let's take it to the next level. And uh, we were able to meet Darius Johnson, who now the name has become very famous, not just around Savannah, but all over the country from the publicity he's received. And he was and is one of the best dancers I've ever seen. And we said, well, what if he could become a coach for us? And I remember talking to him. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I think you can coach first base. I go, I've had this dream of this dancing first base coach for years, but no one that I could ever do it. And he goes, I could do it. You know, I could do it. And I'll never forget that first game opening night. He comes out in the third inning and our whole staff, I'm sitting there right at the gate. And all of a sudden he starts doing the Michael Jackson moonwalk into the Carlton dance from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I'm like, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden I turn into the grandstand and all of a sudden you see about 50 phones up in the air and everyone's videoing it. And I'm like, we've finally done it. We've jumped into the actual baseball game and made it fun. Two games later, um, our amazing videographer got a video of him doing uh, a, a moonwalk into a jump split, which was one of the most craziest dance moves I've seen, and uh, shot it over to ESPN. And it was one of the top things in ESPN. And then CNN reached out. And all of a sudden, all these media outlets started saying, wow, what is this, the, the dancing first base coach? And the reason they cared is because no one else was doing it. So that was one thing. And he became a star this year. But... It wasn't just that. I thought, you know, in a baseball game, they're mostly just slow. They're boring. You know, let's create that awesome college-like football atmosphere. And uh, I've had this dream for a couple of years. And again, Savannah, we were able to make it happen. Uh, we brought in the first ever uh, pep band. And I was like, oh, pep band will be fun. But our director of entertainment and our director of groups found a way to bring in 27 kids, high school kids, to bring the most epic pep band I've ever seen. And they would be set up as fans are walking into the ballpark. They'll be going through the crowd during rallies. And I'll tell you, a pep band at a baseball game is awesome. And between that, the first base coach and a lot of different other promotions, um, we introduced this year the Banana Baby, which uh, the idea of that came about midway through the offseason. And during the offseason, we just try to think of things that are ridiculous and just try to get a, a rise out of people. And when I heard the rest of the staff laughing at this one, I go, we might have something. So all of a sudden, I pictured this idea of a baby, you know, whether it's three months, six months, or nine months, under a year old. And before the game, uh, a dad or a mother goes out to home plate and you have all the players around them on their knees and they lift the baby up into the air and all of a sudden we play over the sound speakers, the Lion King song, Na Savania Na Hila, and we play that song. Uh, by the way, I think I nailed that uh, for the record. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so as, as they do that, and all of a sudden we start doing that every single night and looking at the crowd's reaction to see this baby being held in the air with the players around him to the Lion King theme song is one of the most ridiculous things. It makes zero sense, but I think that's what we try to do is if we can do things that don't make sense, uh, fans talk about it and it's fun. So, 
you know, the first season, uh, you know, obviously there were challenges going into. We, we learned a lot, went into the sex se- second season and thought, how can we get in crazier? And every single game sold out. Uh, we've never seen anything like it. Uh, first team ever at this level. Um, literally, we had to turn away almost 25,000 people at the gates. And there were scalpers at some games. And it was wild. And it's because it wasn't just like a baseball team. So now we're about 10 years into it. And we've learned so much together and seeing that, you know, the ideas that you put into a baseball team can be applied to any business, can be applied to people individually. And it's this mindset of what I call finding your yellow tux. And, you know, is I'm here, I, I wear a yellow tux every game. Now I'm wearing it every day in the office. Uh, it's who I am. And it doesn't mean people have to actually wear a tuxedo, but find what makes them different. And I think uh, for business leaders, uh, owners, or any businesses, when you look at this lens, you'll have more success than you ever imagined. And more than anything, you'll have more fun. And I think that's what business should be like. Awesome. Did you have any doubt after we chose the banana's name that it was going to work? <laughs> I think that first night, as you know, as I lied in our airbed with uh, cockroaches all around us and seeing all the criticism that we were getting, there was a doubt. And I think there's always a doubt when people are challenging you and saying it's not going to work. But we saw it work with our other team in Gastonia and we believed in what we're doing. And I think that is... Uh, that goes further than anything. When you really believe in something, you're going to work harder than you ever worked. And, you know, our staff went from those four people now to 14 uh, year-round employees here in Savannah that work so hard because we believe in what we're doing and the impact we're making. So that sounds very, uh, you know, overly positive and Pollyanna, but it's, it's, it's the truth. If you believe in what you're doing, uh, you'll work harder and make things happen. And that's what we were doing. So now we've seen it firsthand, the yellow tux. And, and what's the idea with how you want to help more people. I mean, where do we go from here? You know, I think the goal with this podcast is now that you've heard our story and the context is, you know, let's apply this at a, at a bigger, in a bigger way. Let's look at all those different businesses that are maybe stuck. Let's look at the people that are, you know, in traffic every day or working the nine to five. Let's look at them and say, you know, we can do something to help you if you look in this different lens. And I think there is some criteria. I think there's ways that you can yellow tux your life. I think there's ways you can yellow tux your business. So the goal with this podcast is I wanna, I'm fascinated by people that are different. I'm fascinated by people that are doing things differently. So I'd like to interview them. I wanna meet them. And I wanna talk about these ideas that can make people stand out in life. So uh, I'm excited to see where this podcast goes. We're just getting started, but I know it's gonna be a learning experience for all of us. Awesome. I'm excited to watch you do it. I can hear the passion and conviction in your voice as always. So hopefully we can help a lot of people. All right. There you have it. Episode one.